Our first uh, scripture reading of the morning comes to us from the, the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 17. It's a rather long passage, but I wanted to sort of set it up so you get a sort of a, a feel and a flavor for this uh, prophet. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Words are in your bulletin also be behind me. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's an old uh, All in the Family uh, TV episode, and Archie Bunker is thrilled when Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, comes to his house. And after uh, fawning over this unexpected surprise of having this celebrity come into the house, they begin to talk about race relations in a way that only Archie Bunker can. Oh, yeah. I think that, I mean, if God had meant us to be together, he'd have put us together. Well, look what he'd done. He put you over in Africa, he put the rest of us in all the white countries. 
Well, you must have told him where we were because somebody came and got it. I mean, uh, there was work for us. <laughs> I mean, and uh, how could you resist? Free transportation, room, board, chains. <laughs> I think you're talking about slavery there, Sam. I want to tell you that I was always dead set against slavery. Glory, glory. This morning, I want you to say hello to the Archie Bunker of the Bible, the prophet Jonah. Uh, Jonah was a racist. Jonah was a bigot. Jonah had deep prejudices in his thoughts and his words and his actions. The venom that he spewed out was towards people who were Ninevites, whom he hated with a passion. And Jonah did everything that he could to sabotage God's plan to save their souls. But you see, God got the last laugh because it was Jonah's prejudice that caused him to make an absolute fool of himself before the presence of God. And Jonah's heart was hard in the way that he saw people. C.S. Lewis once said something very interesting. He said, being a Christian is either going to make you one of two things. Either it will make you a far better person or it will make you a far worse person. Now, have you ever noticed that people who tend to have a warped view of God also tend to have a warped view of other people? Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. As far as he was concerned, those people could go to you-know-where in a handbasket. And so Jonah says, uh, God, uh, that's not exactly in my job description. Nineveh, those people, I'm sorry, that's on the other side of the tracks. Well, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Jonah is this prophet of God from Israel. It, it doesn't sound like he's, he's a very loving person, though. And yes, it's probably true that Jonah would never win a Humanitarian of the Year award, but you need to know that Jonah's heart was filled with love, but it was a selected, a selective love. If you weren't from Israel, then you were simply playing for the wrong team. And yet, and yet, despite all of Jonah's flaws, despite his warped view of God and of humanity, God still used him to bring about one of the greatest revivals in all of history. So I'd like for us to take just a couple of minutes to look at kind of the bloops and blunders of this Old Testament prophet named Jonah. From the outset, God says, Jonah, I need for you to go to the city of Nineveh and I need you to preach to those poor people. Now, what you need to know is that was no easy call from God. It would be like asking someone who lost a loved one on 9-11 to go over to the Middle East and start building habitat houses for the Taliban. The Ninevites were cruel and terrible people. They had this reputation of inflicting physical and psychological damage on their enemies. And Jonah hated them, and he knew that they were a huge threat to Israel. And so it says, Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, if we were to look at a historical map, it's actually quite comical because Tarshish and Nineveh are not even close to each other. It would be like God saying, I need for you to go to Philadelphia. Instead, you hop in your car, get on the Pennsylvania Turnpike and zoom over to Pittsburgh. 
Jonah makes a beeline for it in the exact opposite direction from where God is calling him. Now, just to be fair, Jonah is not the first person to ever question God's call to their lives. We know that Moses wasn't exactly thrilled when God called him to lead the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt and into the wilderness. And Moses was paralyzed, and he just stood there beating around the burning bush. Elijah actually begged God for him to die because he was so tired and exhausted from running and hiding from Queen Jezebel. Jeremiah told God, I'm just a boy. I'm way too young. I don't know how to preach in a convincing manner. And so these are just a couple of examples of people who balked when God tapped them on the shoulder and said, I need you. People who felt unqualified. People who felt unworthy. People who were just plain scared. But none of those folks ever did what Jonah did. He has to be the worst missionary in the world because Jonah gave God a flat-out no, and then he ran away from God. And so Jonah goes to the city seaport of Joppa. He runs up to the ticket booth and says, I want a ticket to a city as far away as I can think of. Um, how about Tarshish? Tarshish is this little fishing village on the Atlantic coast of, of what today is southern Spain. It's going to take Jonah about 18 months to get there by boat through the Straits of Gibraltar and leave all that messy Nineveh business behind him. Now, what's amazing to me is that Jonah actually believed that he could run away from the presence of God. You see, back in that pagan society, it was believed that a god was geographically bound to the borders in which it was worshipped. And so Jonah figures that once he was outside of Israel, once he was out to sea, all God could do was just stand on shore, wave goodbye, and say, have a nice trip, Jonah. We kind of do that today a little bit in our view of God. One, One writer put it this way, we prefer the illusion of a safer deity, and so we have pared God down to manageable proportions. But God says, not so fast, Jonah. I think it's about time that you find out just how powerful I really am. And what Jonah discovers is that the God of land is also the God who holds the sea in the palm of his hand. Because as Jonah runs from God and launches out in that ship, God goes, and God goes, and God goes, and Jonah is being bounced around like a rag doll, and, and huge waves are splashing over that ship, and Jonah is drenched from head to toe, and then the light bulb goes on over his head, and he thinks, hey, God is out here too. And so God sends to Jonah a Storm as a wake-up call to shock him into realizing what life would be like without God. Later on, God is going to provide for Jonah a great fish to swallow him before he sinks to the bottom of the sea, but I'm getting just a little bit ahead of myself. But the point is, there's just no way that Jonah is going to be able to get away from God. He can't run, he can't hide, he can't even die. One author has called this story the inescapability of God. I just love that. The inescapability of God. One way or another, God is going to get Jonah over to Nineveh to preach the gospel to those poor people. Now let me go down a side road for just a moment. Because quite often we make the mistake in thinking that the Bible has two gods. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know those words. We love those words. You say, well, oh, John, that's the New Testament. And we think about the Old Testament. Oh, the Old Testament God is one of vengeance and violence and judgment. Friends, don't ever believe for a moment that there's a God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. There is one God pressed between the pages of his word. The Bible is the story of a relentless and persistent God who won't give up on the prodigal son and who waits for him to return home so that he can throw a party for him. It's but a God who reaches out his hand to grab Peter, who's scared and frightened as he's sinking after walking on the Sea of Galilee. It's about a God who forgave his enemies on the cross as he stretched out his hands and breathed his last. It's about a God who remains faithful to the people of Israel, even as they moan and groan and complain in the wilderness. And it's the same God who won't give up on Jonah and, yes, won't give up on you and me either. Because as Jonah is about to go under for the third time, God provides what's described not as a whale, but a great fish that comes along, swallows Jonah, and saves his life. You know, I think all too often we get caught up with the kind of fish it was that swallowed Jonah. What kind of was it? Was it a, was it a fish? Was it a dolphin? Was it a porpoise? Was it a hammer? I don't know. But I think we, we miss the point if, if we think we want to focus on the kind of fish it was that inhaled Jonah. Because what's important is not what's going on inside the fish. What's important is what's going on inside of Jonah. You see, there inside the belly of the fish, Jonah does something for the very first time that he has not done it until now. Jonah prays. And I would like for us to take a look at this prayer of Jonah in our second scripture reading. It's Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the sea, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars were closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's interesting that this is the first time that in the story that we find Jonah praying. Jonah doesn't pray when he's commissioned by God to go to Nineveh. He doesn't pray before he decides to disobey God and run away. He doesn't pray during the storm or when the sailors throw him overboard. Only now, in the belly of the great fish, does Jonah finally pray. 
When there's nothing else that he can do, he surrenders his will to God's. And, and it's not just that Jonah prays, but how he prays. Almost everything that Jonah prays is taken directly from the Psalms. In other words, he's praying by the book. And everything about this prayer indicates that he's finally ready to stop running and finally ready to obey God. He says, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Deliverance belongs to you, O Lord. My friends, God is seeking to raise up humble people to make good on his desires for their lives. God is searching for people who will respond when God says, go that way, or, or go this way, or, or go to Nineveh. Dr. Ray Pritchard of Keep Believing Ministries tells about the time the youth choir at his church in Mississippi were on a mission trip in New York City. And the young people went and they worked in a soup kitchen one day and then they, they led a vacation Bible school program. But Ray Pritchard says that the best two things those kids and their leaders did was first, they, they sang and they sang a lot. They sang in parks and they sang in some of the other open areas of the city. They also gave out 5,000 music CDs. But the second best thing they did was pray. And at various spots in Manhattan, the youth set up a simple card table that had a poster in front of it that said, prayer station. And if people stopped, the youth would ask them, how can we pray for you? No gimmicks, no strings attached, no tip jar, just the simple offer to pray. Now, you might think, that those young people would have been laughed out of town or dismissed as religious nuts, but instead something very interesting happened. People actually began lining up at the tables to be prayed for. Tough as nails, always in a hurry New Yorkers lined up waiting for prayer. One guy was stopped at a traffic light near one of the prayer stations, and he leaned out the window and said, I'm having a lot of trouble in my life. I need you to pray for me. I can't stop right now, but please pray for me. And the light turned green, and as he began to zoom off, those teenagers shouted, we will, we will pray for you. We will pray for you. Friends, all over this world, there are people who are hurting. Some from a lack of food, some from a lack of lodging, some from a lack of hope. There are families who are in crisis. There are people who are struggling to make ends meet. There's sickness and pain and sorrow and sadness that seem to come uninvited and invade people's lives. God is calling us to go and minister to them in Jesus' name, to pray Jonah's prayer, to make good, and to faithfully serve him. It won't be easy. There is a tremendous temptation to run away or to look the other way or to use COVID as an excuse because oh, it just seems too hard. So as I close, let me ask you a question. Do you have people in your life that are really, really hard to love? In other words, who are the personal Ninevites in your life? Unemployed people? Poor people on welfare, alcoholics, scientists, anti-vaxxers, people with a mental illness, fundamentalist Christians, politicians, your boss at work, 
Maybe it's a family member or an in-law. But if God asks you to go and love them, will you be able to do it? Or do you need to spend some time in the belly of the fish praying and repenting of your sins? Is there a Jonah deep inside of you that needs to surrender to God? All I know is this, that when God comes into our lives, he doesn't come simply with a call to go to Nineveh, but he also comes to us with the presence of Christ so that we bring with us his grace and his mercy and his power to go and love those people. And whatever it may take, God is going to do, even if it means spending three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. Because as I said, believe it or not, Jonah, the man who ran away from God, God used to bring about one of the greatest spiritual revivals in all of history. Might God be asking the same thing from all of us? Because my friends of Chestnut Level Presbyterian Church, now it's our turn. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it comes to us. And we thank you how you use flawed people to accomplish the purposes that you have for people to know you. And how you use Jonah, who ran as far as he can, as fast as he can from you. And yet, Lord, you used him to bring about a great revival in the hearts of people who had no business or anything wanting to do with you. Lord, you can use us. We may not have all the answers. We may not be experts in Bible trivia, but Lord, if our hearts are attuned to you, you will give us the words. You will give us what we need to do to help people to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his saving grace. May it be so for each and every person here. Give us those opportunities and then help us not to squander those opportunities, but to make the most of them, even as you allow us to meet people, whether they're in our families or in our neighborhoods or at work, wherever it may be, O oh Lord. Give us your word so that we may communicate it in a way that people can hear it, embrace it, and most of all, by your Holy Spirit, be changed by it. And we ask this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.